ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hello everyone. Today I talk with my recovery friend Nicole. As you will hear, she was in my first ever NA meeting. But it was not until about two years later that we got to know each other well at a trauma counseling weekend. You will hear talking about SLA and SLAA. That stands for Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Once you commit to their program, you normally work through the first three steps in what they call the HOW program. That is what Nicole is referring to in part of a story. I really had fun during this interview, but the recording was quite long, so I unfortunately had to edit out lots of our banter, sharing memories and laughter. So, let's get to it. Good morning, Nicole. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good and you, Freddie. I am very well, thank you very much. Today feels like that back to life, back to reality situation. I'm so not, so not willing or able to be here. <laughs> I'm still in denial for a little bit longer. <laughs> the worst of all is that I set my alarm clock for the right time this morning and I don't know what happened, but the cell phone battery went flat, so it was off. So it didn't go uh, off. Sure. So I started my first day back to life an hour late. Oh dear, and, and then I, I was early, so I decided, with all this additional pressure. I'm not going pressure. to panic about it. I'm so not going to panic about it. I'll just take this day as it comes. Well, someone once, really nice. Yeah, someone once said to me, um, now's not the time to panic. <laughs> and, and that's always held me in good stead, you know. <laughs> Somebody on here said a while ago about rule six. Don't take yourself so damn seriously. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this morning I remembered one. rule six. You know, <laughs> and then poor Tyson hasn't been for a nice walk. So I also promised him this morning he'll go for a nice long walk. Yeah, well, we need to take care of our pets. Mine Absolutely. were on the beach this morning. So. With it? Oh, cool. Do you live far from the beach? Uh, about a five-minute drive, but oh, up a hill, awesome. so I drive to the beach. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> and does she enjoy the beach? Bella loves the beach. Does she go to the water and splash around? Or is she more... A little bit. She's getting a little bit braver with, okay. with that. She's a lot more confident when her brothers are there. If I walk her on her own, she's a lot more clingy and, oh, mommy, no, okay. mommy, this doggy's looking at me. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it is. It's adorable. Mama, he's making eyes at me. <laughs> Yeah, she's, a, she's a little too independent when her brothers are there, and I kind of go, oh, poor me. <laughs> Where's my codependent dog? <laughs> sweet, 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 sweet. Nicole, thank you so much for coming through. I know it was a bit of a mission to get here. No, but, um, it was fine. I really appreciate it. Thanks. So, as you know, this podcast is about spiritual journeys and about your, your take on spirituality, what is spirituality for you, and um, how do you live it? So let's start at the beginning and say, what is spirituality for you? Sure, these are these are big questions to have to think about so early on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm only on my second cup of coffee. It's yeah. not that early um, anymore. <laughs> okay, yeah, especially if you've been up since half past four. Oh my God, is that the time you get up? Yeah, it's when I wake up. And it's actually quite nice. It's catch 22, it's darkest before the dawn. Um, so that could mean I'm going to have a lot of tears, but it's also a great time to to connect with with my yeah. higher power and and think about you know try and put myself into a good space. What is spirituality? Sure, 
Quite a bit is coming to my mind. Spit it out. <laughs> I've just forgotten the one thing. <laughs> Spirituality, a lot of it is doing things behind the scene that no one sees. Okay. For me, an example of where I'm at with my spirituality is how is my road rage? Okay. No one is in the car with me. No one can see me. Am I yelling verbal abuse or am I gently letting the guy cut in front of me? I think spirituality also has always been about inner peace for me, which is interesting because I thought for a long time that I would only achieve inner peace sort of two minutes before I died. And once you achieve this inner peace, you go on and die. I've subsequently discovered that inner peace for me personally is is my spirituality. It's my gratitude. You know, I started working through your book, The First Layer, and one of the first, in the first couple of days, there was a question and was what behaviors do you miss from being in recovery? Yeah. And, and that was when I realized that I was no longer spiritually connected anymore okay. because I, I, I suddenly realized that I missed the gratitude I had. I was sick of the judgment and the criticism I had around everyone and everything. Um, the poor me, the victim thinking, everything that I was feeling at the time was not spiritual. And part of it was due to circumstances. I was, you know, going through a very um, tough time. And part of it was actually because I hadn't been working the program. Yeah. And I hadn't actively been praying. You know, I'm just lucky I didn't pick up. Oh, yeah. You're in recovery for how long now? I'll be 10 years in May. Oh, my word. Yeah. That's excellent. And that's from drugs and alcohol. Yes. And then SLA is on the 4th of June will be seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. God, you don't get that amount of recovery in SAA slash SLAA. That's Um, excellent. No, it's, well, obviously with with SLA, I'm going, um, with SLA, you know, you determine what your bottom lines are. And obviously as time goes by, they do change. So when I was doing the initial one-year celibacy and working the HAR program, my bottom lines were so, you know, A to Z. When I got into a relationship, following my guidelines and not acting out of my guidelines into the relationship, I still maintained my SLA sobriety throughout that relationship. And now having come out of that relationship, obviously I'm redefining what my bottom lines are because also my behaviors have changed. One thing I do like about SLA, AA and NA is that it is very black and white. It's kind of, um, you know, NA it's simple, you just, you're sober, you're not taking drugs, the same as alcohol, you're not drinking alcohol. Um, And then then SLA, you've got your bottom lines, yes I can do this, no I can't do this. And so I'm a black and white person, Mm -hmm. I I get very confused in grey. I think if you allow people like us to to live in grey. You just confuse us. Because we are manipulators, negotiators. Bullshitters. Yeah. So give us grey and we will so work, we will work that grey until it is exactly the The way we want it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a very black and white person as well. So where did you grow up? Dad was a diplomat. Oh my God. So I'm a bit of a traveling gypsy. I was in London for five years. Paris for four. Where were you born? Yeah, in South Africa. Yeah, I was born okay. in Pretoria. Oh my God, you're a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Bali. <laughs> girl from Pretoria. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I moved to Cape Town about how long ago? In 90, 
six, and I've been here ever since. So you said you were in London for five years, and where? And Paris for four years, and then <laughs> Pretoria in between, as I, that was head office, yeah. so you'd spend time there. And how old were you when you were in London and Paris? London, I was about four or five months. Paris, I was there from 12 going on 13 to 16 going on 17. Oh, you like so. So, so, so that was my hooligan years, starting to get out there, cause a bit of chaos, getting into trouble. When did you start using? Hmm. <laughs> it all depends on what, what you're talking about. <laughs> I, as a, as a bad Can you be or, specific? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had, um, you know, I started smoking cigarettes probably when I was, I was about 10. I think that's sort of, I mean, it was on the slide, but that's sort of where the addiction started to kick in. But if I look at my behavior as a child, it, it, it was very much very evident. I remember being between the age of, I was in primary school, I can't give you an exact age, but probably around about standard two, I remember drinking a bottle of grape juice like a squeezy liquid fruit of grape juice really quickly and then running around acting as if I was drunk <laughs> I don't think it's normal behavior for kids in primary school you know what I mean <laughs> I had my first drink when I was 12 in Paris the best French wine yes <laughs> and it was gin of all things it okay. was gin but prior to that, I had my first headache pill when I was 12 for migraines so my migraines have been going on since I was 12 okay. And, and those pills did play a very um, big role in my life. Okay. Um, but yeah, I remember the drinking. It wasn't that, oh my gosh, this is like everything to me now. It tasted really awful. And it was really hard to drink it. <laughs> but you forced yourself. But I forced myself. Yeah, that's kind what of, we do. <laughs> kind of like where I was at with smoking. Um, you know, I, I quit about four and a half months ago. And I had, I, I tried to smoke three cigarettes quite recently. Um, I had that void and I was trying to fill it with, you know, <laughs> everything that I shouldn't be filling it with. <laughs> and and I'd, I'd light the cigarette and I'd have a drag and I'd go, oh, it's really disgusting. And I'd put it out and I'd go, no, damn it, I'm going to get it right. And I'd light another <laughs> one. And it was absolutely ridiculous. That, that, I'll, I'll never forget something that, that they taught us in rehab, which I thought was so ridiculous at that stage. They said, us addicts are the only people who we would put our hand on a hot plate and burn. Oh, 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 oh yes. that hurt. And they put the other hand on to make sure. Just that, to make sure. No, so Absolutely. your cigarette is exactly that. And I, that's, I, I, that's thought, it. I thought that's ridiculous. I don't do that. But that's exactly what I did. Mm, mm. Your high school was basically in, in Paris. In Paris. And then you came and back to South Africa. And then I came back Africa. and I did my matric at Abbots in Cape Town. Okay. Yeah. And what did you ask? Do, where were you spirit, spiritually at that stage? Did you grow up with a sense of um, church, spirit? I was brought up Methodist. My okay. mother was Catholic. My father was Methodist. And they just said, you know what? Methodist is quite an even kill down the middle line. Yeah. We'll get you baptized. You'll go to Sunday school. And then when you're old enough to figure out what all this religion is about and all the different types of religion and belief systems, then you can figure that out for yourself. Okay. And did you connect with that? I found my old Bible a few years ago, and on it I've got written in my handwriting, my child, my child handwriting, I love Jesus, I love everybody. And I just thought that was the sweetest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Sweet. I could just see myself as a little six-year-old or five-year-old going, I love Jesus, I love everybody. <laughs> I haven't got the everybody thing still, you know. <laughs> I'm working on that. When I went to Paris, it was, it was, we went, my sister and I, we went to the British School of Paris. 
just before we left for Paris, my sister had gotten involved with um, the Baptist Church. Okay. And my take on them was quite negative because they said, like, the gummy bears were evil and the Smurfs were evil. <laughs> you know, and this is what people were saying at that time. Yeah. You know, we're talking more, what, the late 80s. So I found that very difficult to, you know, I love my gummy bears. How can you say they're evil? <laughs> like, I'm not going to listen to you now. <laughs> and then I suppose... I suppose I, you know, when I came back to South Africa, when I started smoking marijuana, to be more specific, I believed myself to be a very spiritual person. It wasn't until I got into recovery that I realized what it's about. Yeah. So it was this, you know, I was spiritual when I was stoned. Yes. <laughs> because I had good ideas and felt Apparently, I, yeah. And I also thought I was a great artist when I was stoned. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd do these pastel drawings and I'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened here? Yeah. I spoke to a writer the other day yeah, as well. And we also laughed about the stuff that he wrote. Mm. While he was writing it, he thought that was absolutely <gasps> wow. And yes. then not being stoned reading anything what the hell happened here? so after school mm-hmm. what happened for you after school I, I wanted to save the world I wanted to be a psychologist I was going to get my doctorate in psychology and run my own practice that was my dream I can't remember how but I landed up going to UCT and, and, and starting on my journey um, studying psychology studying psychology and of course I was very involved in the party scene so I failed my first year. Were you a raver? I think by that time we were going to trance, but it really depended who my boyfriend was or who my friends were at the time as to did I have the latest trance music or did I have the latest rave music? Was I wearing hippie clothes or was I a goth? You know, it, okay. it, it depended who I was with. I was a complete chameleon, which I learned from being a diplomat's child. You, you, you've got to learn to adapt really quickly. Mm. You get thrown into a new country, different language, different people, lose all your friends. Not that I could maintain friendships because I, I, I couldn't. But yeah, so I was quite the chameleon. And um, so, I, so I failed my first year. I passed some subjects, which they then decided then, them being, um, I think my, my dad and my mom and myself, I'm not, it's all very vague. I mean, <laughs> I don't really remember much. <laughs> it's all kind of a blur. It's all kind of a blur. But that I would do social work. Okay. And once you finish that, that four-year degree, you can become a clinical social worker and open your own practice. Yeah. And I think it was my third year I failed. <laughs> Again, due to partying or just a lack yeah, of interest? Yeah, that, that was mostly... Um, I would write these great reports when I was stoned because we were doing practical work. But I never handed them in. Don't <laughs> ask me why. To this day, I, I, I can't tell you why. But um, I think it was something like 40 or 50% of your mark came from your practical work and yeah. writing your reports, and, and mine were just nowhere to be found. Good grief. Yeah, so then mom was very much along the lines of let her become a checkout girl in checkers. <laughs> and dad kind of went, no, let's see what we can do with her. And so I went for some curriculum guidance and was told to do marketing which I did to be honest which I've always hated oh no um I don't think I'm a great mark I've done digital marketing for years now and I'm in the process of changing my career to hopefully go into recruitment but yeah it's not my passion and spiritually still parting up a storm yeah was, yeah. Was, were those the ecstasy days or what was the DOC? Yeah, I never got into the ecstasy scene. I tried to really hard. I took it a good <laughs> few times. 
<laughs> but all it made me do was vomit and nothing ever kicked in. Oh, no. Um, it was only like about two weeks before I went to rehab that I actually had my first real experience <laughs> on ecstasy. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. <laughs> and then it was the end. <laughs> then it was the that end. Was I was like, the no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on antidepressants. So I had the serotonin kicking in. And some people, when you're on serotonin-based antidepressants, the ecstasy doesn't work. It okay. sort of cancels each other out or something, something like that. So I was one of the lucky or unlucky, whatever you choose. Yeah. I was also accepted to do pharmacology at Grahamstown. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, I didn't go, obviously. And, and, I, and I, think back to, I think back to that now, and I'm just so grateful I didn't, because I would have really <laughs> brewed up some dodgy medication. I'd probably be dead by now. You know, that's the reality. <laughs> yeah. Because benzo was part of your addiction. I had what I call my legal and illegal suppliers. So I was very much I mean towards the end of the towards the end of my active it was I was always high, it just depended what time of day it was to what I was on. Yeah, I was the same. If it was sort of, you know, you're eight o'clock in the morning, I'm on my way to work, I'm off to score some coke and then I'm off to work and then when that starts wearing off and I've got no more then I'd start on the methadine the morphine or the pethidine and the sleeping tablets and the Valiums to easily come down and go to sleep. Yeah. Wake up in the morning, time for the uppers, time to go to bed, time for the downers. Yeah, um, I was very much the same. And that, that was that was the last few mm. years, yeah. Okay. And spiritually, where were you then? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it was nothing. It was a big black hole. <laughs> Just a huge void. Yeah. So exactly like the AA book says, a yeah. spiritual void. You had, your father died when, five, seven? Five and a half years five ago. Five and a half years yeah. ago. You, you seem to have been very close to him. Yeah, he was, he was a good guy. I mean, we had a, we had a, a complicated relationship, um, but a very simple relationship at the same time. So he wasn't really around, around much. Um, and my mother resented that, and then I took on my mother's resentment. Okay. So even, the, I call them my mother truths. Things that I take on that I didn't think up myself. Okay. Um, but that, like, my mother would say, like, I'll never forgive your father for not being around for you. Oh, I'll take that and add that to my little okay, rucksack yeah. of resentments now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was. I think I was. It got. It, you know, he retired when I was about eighteen, and suddenly he was. Who are you going out with? Where are you going? What time are you going to be home? And all of this. And I was kind of, well, who are you? Yeah, so from completely being absent to suddenly kind of wanting some form of command. Yes. And then when I was about 20, 22, I'm not sure of the exact age, he had an arrhythmia. Now, he'd had a heart attack years before, but he had an arrhythmia. And and the, the, the doctor said he's probably got six months left to live. Oh, wow. And this was when I was 20, 22. And it kind of dawned on me then that it might be too late for that perfect father and daughter relationship, but it's not too late for a kind of relationship. And then it also dawned, and I was quite amazed by this because I was still inactive and I actually had some good ideas here. (laughs) Um, The other thing that dawned on me was that what what defines the perfect relationship? Oh, it's me watching these romantic comedies Mm. and it's me reading trashy novels. Which is why I don't read read those books anymore yeah. or watch those kind of movies because it, you know, it was the same as the love and relationship thing. That was how it was meant to be. And that was going to be based on a movie. Yeah. I mean, how ridiculous. A sponsor once said to me that romantic comedies is to women 
what pornography is to me. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it is so far removed from reality, so but we ridiculous. all strive for that. Oh, of course. <laughs> Please, man, whatever. <laughs> so you went out and worked on a relationship with your father? I don't think I, I don't remember consciously going, I'm going to work on it. But, you know, he was very controlling, he was very manipulative. And that, that so you didn't change. From the best. Yeah, and I learned from the best. <laughs> What's funny you should say that because, you know, my SLA issues are flaring a little bit at the moment. Um, so I've got quite a lot of attention there. Um, as well as my my NA issues, I discovered that some alcohol is starting to look a bit appealing to me. So so those are the areas I'm really focusing mm. on. But it is my intention to go back to adult child at some point. So you were. 22, 23, and how long after that did you come into recovery? I came into recovery, I turned 30 when I was 86 days sober. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So what a way to celebrate a 30th birthday. And what brought you into recovery? I dabbled with the idea that I might have a problem when I was doing coke every weekend. Okay. Now we're talking back into early 20s. And I phoned phone line. No, I phoned, what's it called again? Lifeline. Um, um, lifeline. I phoned Lifeline. They said, no, we think you should phone, you know, Narcotics Anonymous. So I was like, okay, cool. And they gave me this number and it belonged to a man. And I thought, oh, woo, look at this. I'm going to know this man's going to help me sober up type thing. And then they, he said, no, you have to speak to a woman because you're a woman. And I'm pleased to say that that woman that took my call is still in the rooms today. Oh, wow. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So we're talking like over 15 years. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And she's still active in the room. So that's really amazing. And so I I got myself to an NA meeting. And then I was at a meeting one day. And I think it was like my second meeting. I still didn't really know what was going on about any of it. And... This guy was in, he was going on and on. He was about two years sober, how good his life was and how he's gymming and his work's going well. And He didn't appeal to me, but what he was saying, I kind of went, I want that. Yeah. And he then turned a bit psycho because we got involved. And I didn't, I didn't know I had to get a... I was at my second meeting. I didn't understand the concept of get a sponsor, don't get involved in a relationship. I don't even think I'd heard these things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so on day 29 of being sober, we came up to a friend's farm in Solari's Pass and I found an old stale warm bear which I downed because the thought of now actually having to sleep with this man was just so unappealing mm. that I then proceeded to drink. And then he then said, well, what would you like to do about it? And I said, I'd like to go to the bottle store and get a bottle of vodka. And he said, okay, sure, I'll drive you there. Now he was two years in the rooms. And he's now driving me to the bottle store so that I can score. So it was very much, you know, in hindsight, I can look at it and go, okay, it was very much a 13-step situation. And so then, you know, I carried on using. It got worse. I was miserable with life. Um, Didn't think it was because of the drugs. I was diagnosed bipolar. I didn't have that man to make me feel better. You know, all the things that I thought would make me okay... Um, were external things. Yeah. You know, I was still living at my at a flat at my folks' place. I didn't have my own car. No, I had a car. Sorry, I did have a car. But it was all the external factors that I thought would make my life feel better. 
and I didn't register that it was actually the drugs that were making my life feel so terrible. Yeah. So then what happened was, this is this is beautiful. I love this part of my life story. One night I went to bed. No, I went. I sat in, in the spare room in my flat, and I said, "I." My exact words. I still remember them. Were look. I know you're out there, but I need something physical and tangible that's going to come help me. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. It's going to be interesting. I can't wait. So now I'm SLA, and I'm t- walking on the beach the next day with my mom, and this beautiful man runs past me, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> then he does a U-turn at the end of the beach, and he starts running towards me, and I go, oh, I know him. <laughs> and he... We, we swapped numbers, we agreed to meet for a coffee. Or so you did know? <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So, so we met up for coffee, and over the next day or two, it, well, no, that, that, that initial meeting, I was like, you're looking so great. There's this inner peace about you. Like, what's going on? Where have you been? You know, I must do this kind of thing. He went, Nicole, I went to rehab. Oh, wow. I said, okay. And um, so then I slowly started to tell him my story. I kind of said I had a problem with opiates. And then I kind of went, okay, and also cocaine. <laughs> Whisper it behind your head. Yeah. <laughs> and over like two, three day period, I kind of, the whole story came out. <laughs> and then I phoned him. I went to work that Monday and I came home and my dad said, I want a financial recon. Okay. Because I'd been borrowing money from him. So between my friends saying, I'm going to help you get into a treatment center and my dad going, game's up, what is going... Because my parents had no idea that I was using. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to run away now and go to run away to a rehab in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. So I phoned this friend of mine and and he was like, sure, I'll come fetch you. We'll take you through. There's a bed for you, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what happened because I woke up the next day and I was in my bed with all my suitcases and then as I pulled out to go into my driveway, he pulled up and said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to work. He says, no, you're not. The agreement was, was that you would come home last night and you would tell your parents the truth this morning and then you would go to rehab. And, and you can't recall that? No, I've taken a whole lot of sleeping pills. Oh, my word. I didn't remember anything. So, yeah, and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd quit smoking. I hadn't smoked. <laughs> this is my second round of not smoking. I'd quit smoking and... Um, but I started smoking on the slime, obviously with all this going to rehab, I, I was like puffing away like a chimney. And that morning I went up to my parents' house and I said, good morning, dad. He went, hello. And I said, I need to talk to you and mom about something. And he went, yes, I can smell you've been smoking again. And my brain went, I bet you wish that's all it was. Mm. You know? And then, yeah, then I, I checked in. And, and what was the reaction when you told them? There was so much of the attitude that now they knew what the problem was, we could do something about it. Okay. Because they knew something was wrong with me, but they yeah. had no idea what it was, you yeah. know. Um, My mother said the same. She said, yeah. I knew something was wrong with you because that's not you, but I had mm. no idea what it was. Yeah. So now I'm very relieved. Yes. Um, that, that at least we would know what the fuck is going on. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you did a part of... 28 days 28 days um, I got unpaid leave from my job went back to work after 28 days <gasps> so going into treatment mm. what happened for you spiritually well going you know it, because I'd had this I prayed and now help the miracle the divine happened, yeah. intervention occurred so where did you know this guy from by the way 
Oh, we waitress together. Okay. Yeah, years ago. Okay. Years ago. Um, when I was still studying. So I kind of had this divine intervention. So I had no issue with the concept of what I referred to at the time was God. However, when I came out of rehab, my little 28-day stint, at about two and a half months sobriety, I met a man. Oh, my God. Uh, of course, because no one's actually diagnosed with his SLA yet. Yeah. <laughs> And it's still going whoop whoop. <laughs> and um, endorphins started rushing. You know, I mean, when I went, happened. Yeah, I mean, when when I was in treatment, they wrote a list of all my issues, and they said, "Okay, we can only work on four of them." But SLA was never there. You know, no one ever thought SLA. Yeah. So I met this guy. He was from Hart Bay. Oh, I'd given him a lift at some point with a friend of mine. He looked vaguely familiar. Oh, and we had this like connection. And then I thought, oh my gosh, God is going to punish me and he's going to make me relapse because I'm having this relationship and I shouldn't be having it. So you were aware of that, that yeah. you should not be having this relationship? Yes, oh. and I was very aware that, at this that, point. <laughs> I'd done thing, my 28 days. That's one days. thing that dropped for you, is <laughs> knowing that you're the first day of But I was special and different. Yeah? <laughs> of course. <laughs> we and, all know um, that. <laughs> yeah, so, so what became very evident to me because also in, 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 in primary care, you just work on step one. And they say, when you get out, tell your sponsor you're ready to start on step two. You, you have components of step two, but yeah. you're not formally written work. Let's, yeah. let's put it that way. So what became very evident to me was that, okay, here I am thinking God's going to make me punish. Obviously, I've reverted to the God of my childhood, yeah. who was a punishing God. Okay, right, we need to do something about this. Then, and I think some people will be really freaked out about this, but it's my story. Beware to be freaked out. <laughs> Big warning lights flashing. Um, I, I would close my eyes and I, I'd, I'd see my old dog when I, when, I, when I started to pray. So now I thought, oh, now I'm going to get struck by lightning. Here I am praying to a dog that's no more on planet Earth. <laughs> well, you could just say that you're dyslexic, you know, kind of dog god. So I kind of took this to um, my sponsor at the time and my counselor at the time. So listen here, I'm, re- I'm, I'm going to get struck by lightning here, <laughs> you know. I'm praying to a dead dog. <laughs> and they were so amazing about it. They were just like, well, what are the characteristics your dog had? So I was like, oh, man. I... His big fat teddy bear head's always at the window when I pull up into the garage. And So he was ever present. Oh, ever present. Loving. Unconditionally loving. It didn't matter if I had come home drunk and fallen on him and hit him. Not that I would have hit him. Yeah. Or came home with Beano biscuits. It was just that unconditional love, that forgiveness. And I think for someone like me, or for a lot of us who battle with relationships, the one constant I always had since standard one was my dog. Yeah. And I would move countries and change schools and change friends and relationships would end, but I'd have that dog. Yeah. You know, my first dog was Seamus. I had him for 10 years. Then there was Humphrey. I Shameless. Seamus. Oh. Seamus. <laughs> 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 Just <say> what? <laughs> no, that's me. Seamus <laughs> and Seamus formed a fabulous pair. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that was, a, that was you know, and, and they just helped me see it that way. And um, so then, then I started calling my higher power cosmic. Then I went back to higher power. Then I decided, oh, how, how so what power was is that too dog's long. Name? Humphrey. Okay, Humphrey. And then, then I went back to higher power. Then I went to God because it was easiest to say. 
then I'd go back to higher power. And and it's just you know it's just changes. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's nothing for me spiritual for my my experience with my spirituality has been a very ever cha- ever changing relationship. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes I'm comfortable with saying God, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm praying, sometimes I'm really angry and writing anger letters at God or higher powers, yeah. you know. And I think that's what I went through in the middle of last year when my relationship ended, lost my job, I lost my home, I had to give up the dog. And Oof. yeah, it was just, you know, and then I went and quit smoking two weeks after that. Um, <laughs> just, just to punish yourself that little No, I did more. it because it was what, what would have been our anniversary. And I was like, well, I'm going to do something that you don't think I can do. And that is okay. quit smoking. Oh, so cool. it was, it was, yeah. Nothing like a bit of spite to motivate you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was just, yeah, you know, I was, I was very angry at God for a really long time because I thought, I knew, I thought I'd followed everything perfectly, you know, especially with the relationship. I'm going to interrupt you there. Yes. So what happened to the guy whom you met early in recovery? Oh, well, it's a really sad story. Oh, no. oh wait, the one that got me into rehab or the one the, that... The, 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 the one that you met... Soon, on the beach. Oh, soon, soon after. Soon after you came out of rehab. Oh, oh, Anal. Okay. <laughs> um. shouldn't, shouldn't I have gone? <laughs> it's fine. We were friends, we'd get together, we'd break up, we'd get together, we'd break up. Um, on one of the breakups, I self-harmed. Oh, no. Very badly. And I was at the office, and they had to take me to the hospital for stitches. Oh, oh and, my word. Um, Shoot, that's a deep one. Yeah, no, mm. it's, it's, yeah. Mm. And, um, and after that, we got back together, and then we mm. broke up again, then he cheated on me with his neighbor. So, oh, no. So when I was six months sober, I finally walked out of that okay. going, no more. And then, did, did you then stay clean a year without him, without a relationship? No, it was only... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a couple of months. But, 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 as we so spoke earlier, the, the hand on the hot plate. Did yeah, you, the hot plate I'm sure your it's not that hot. <laughs> you know, but I, I did, when I got into SLA recovery, um, I don't think you could call what I had were relationships. They were probably prolonged one-night stands, to okay. be honest. My first proper relationship in recovery was with my, my recent okay. ex, yeah. So how long before you realized that this man thing is a problem and that you actually need help for it? Um, I got help when I was just after three years sober. Oh, wow. So it took a while. Yeah, a while it, it, it did. It took a while of really destructive behavior. It was weird because I was in recovery, but I was in this dark place. I'm trying to think who my sponsors were at the time because I wasn't being honest. The the reason why I got sober was because there was so much shame and guilt with the behavior that I was doing that I couldn't blame on the drugs and the alcohol. Yeah. See, up until then, I believed I was a whore because of the drugs and the alcohol. Yeah. But in sobriety, I was still acting like that whore and it was getting worse. The same happened with me. I, yeah. I, in treatment, they said, we think you're a sex addict. And I said, no, 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 I just act out when I'm drunk or high mm, mm, and mm. six months clean I realized that kind of you can't use drunk and high as an excuse anymore yes. because you're not drunk and yes. high this is a problem yeah and I was so resentful to walk into those rooms <gasps> me too oh, I didn't want, I was, to I didn't want another label I mm, didn't want exactly, to have to go yeah. through something else but having worked the SLA 12-step program the how program and then the the, the remainder of the, the steps for their 12-step program that changed my life more than yeah. more than anything as else well. But what was interesting was I walked into SLA and my attitude was, I'm doing this because I want the perfect relationship. Ah. But what I got was a great relationship with myself, my higher power, 
my family, my friends, and then came the man. Yeah. So your relationships in general got better. And that's, and that what, could then that's why I love the SLA program, yeah. because for me it's not just about the romantic relationship. Mm. I remember walking into SAA and being so resentful and so negative and calling everybody a bunch of wankers and eventually saying to my higher power at that stage, okay, I surrender. I shall do this fucking program mm. and I will do the complete abstinence periods and do the steps yes. and, 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 and. But when I'm finished with this, you're going to... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You make me laugh. <laughs> when I'm finished with this, you're going to give me a boyfriend who's going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> At nine months, nine, I was doing the year abstinence, but from the word go, I wasn't going to do it yet. That's it. <laughs> So my sponsor would say, well, let's get to 30 days and then we can chat. And then we get to 60 days and we chat. I do the same with my sponsors. Just, and eventually just 40 we, days. <laughs> yeah, eventually we got to sort of around about nine months. And then it was on my nine months, I'd, I'd met this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like God's gift to all women. He was like 21 and beautiful. And I'm like in my mid-30s. <laughs> oh, my God. So already it's going because I have no toy boys on my bottom line. Uh. Area, so already it's all flashing. In my mind, I'm going to go to my SLA meeting. I'm going to celebrate my nine months sobriety. I'm going to pick up my chip and then I'm going home and then I'm going to have my wicked way with this boy. <laughs> <laughs> and is that what happened? No. Oh, cool. I sat in the meeting. And rationality and, prevailed. And in SLA, you know, you raise your hand when you relate. Yeah. And I was just like talking about this. And then I got into the subject of, I need to make male friends. I was saying, you know, because when I started the SLA program, I cut all contact with men unless you were gay. Okay. My, my straight male friends, I was getting googly eyes for. I didn't know who was what in the zoo anymore. Mm. So at nine months, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to try this thing called friendship with the opposite sex. And I don't know what to talk to them about because, you know, it's all about recovery and what else do you talk about Well, you talk about the weather and um, you know and this whole time I'm talking I can't remember what else I said but the whole time I'm talking this hand was going up and down up and down. it's just like this guy was having an epileptic fit <laughs> Well, you stop doing that, yeah, you're distracting. You're distracting me. <laughs> <laughs> and what's really funny was after that meeting, I got two men said to me, we're in this, not we're in the same, you know, we relate. Yeah. And I got two guys' numbers. One I was then friends with for six months, and we then got together as a relationship. And the other is still a friend of mine who lives in Joburg. Oh, cool. Yeah. I remember on mine nine months in SA, <laughs> I cried through that whole meeting. <laughs> I that was, was me through the first three weeks. I was still in so much pain. Oh. I had no idea all the, all, all the stuff I actually had to deal with. Oh. And I remember so well that my sponsor was sitting next to me, just consoling me the whole time. And there were three newcomers, of which one was exceptionally cute. <laughs> <laughs> what is, why, why do they do that? <laughs> and the whole it's a lot of so embarrassing. What message am I carrying to these newcomers? <gasps> sitting... Pissing, crying on, on nine months. What are they going to think? I don't, I don't want that. You were in my first ever in a meeting. Oh my God, I'm so and you sorry. Cried. <laughs> <laughs> I think I cried for about six years. <laughs> and you cried. And you shed and you cried. And I thought, but what the fuck is wrong with this chick? You know, how can you be clean and, and, and not okay? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's um, but it's something that my sponsor once told me. She said to me, 
straight down the line. Be your authentic self. Yeah. Stand in your truth. Absolutely. And the message you're giving to the newcomer when you're falling apart is that you can still stay sober exactly. yeah, when you your world is falling apart. You can go through the pain without using And that, that took me a while to realize as well. I yes. can go through this. The message is it's not perfect. And, 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 and you're in pain because we're working through stuff. We're going Absolutely. to fix that stuff. And Absolutely. we don't have to use on it. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's a huge I mean, message. my previous year, I'd say not last year, the year before, the last, the last two years before my breakup, I didn't have any growth. I mean, I, I looked at my career, there were no great changes there. I looked at my friendship circle, there were no great changes there. There was just no growth. Yeah. And then suddenly when everything just like hit and impounded five months ago, there's been so much growth since then. Yeah. So if you have to define your higher power now, mm. what would it be? A glowing, warm, love bug inside me oh cool fabulous there's something else i want to go back to mm. oh boy which man <laughs> no <laughs> when i was early recovery i got to know you much better mm -hmm. on a trauma course we did together yes what brought you to that course that was a heavy sigh in case you didn't hear that <laughs> um. <laughs> the shoulders drooped <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Was it just kind of, I need to do this to, to, to scratch to the next level of what's going on? You must have been about two, three years clean by then. Yeah. No, because it's, I, I remember I was working, it was, it was my same boss that I asked for time off to go to that weekend. And that then pulled me aside because he, he'd known me for many years and he knew me in active. He then pulled me aside and said, are you using again? I'm like, no, why? And he goes, because your behavior is totally erratic and we need you to do a random drug test for us. Oh, my word. And that was just after I started working the SLA How program. Oh, my word. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, I either would have gone on that trauma weekend just before or just after I came into SLA. I okay. I can't remember what, what brought me to, to working. At, I still, a few I things no I remember idea. from that weekend. I, I cried. <laughs> During the first meditation... Of the whole weekend, we cried. <laughs> it was the one where we had to take our, our inner child for a walk through the forest and point things out to, 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 to them. I don't Do you even remember, remember that? that. I remember that very I well. I have a terrible memory. I blame it on my medication. Oh, so do I. <laughs> so, but that, that made such an impact, I remember it. Do you remember the meditation where we ate the orange? No. Not. No. Oh, my God. That made such an impact on I remember TV having had... to stand and look in people's eyes. Yes, that was the right right at the end. That was and the, flipping freaky. And the breathing. The breathing round one, I just oh. cried. <laughs> and round two, I laughed. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with me? Everyone else is crying. Now I'm laughing. Oh. And they're going, no, it's okay. We all experience it in our own manner. And... That breathing first thing was, yeah. what was it called? Breath, yeah. breath work. Breath, breath work. work. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That all of us rolling around on the floor. <laughs> you you cried a lot. <laughs> Do you still connect with your inner child? Yes, it's funny you should say that. I, I met up with someone from the rooms recently. And, um, you know, that I go through phases like my spirituality where I'm not that active. But something that my first sponsor taught me was sometimes just check in with yourself. And she actually did it when I got into that relationship in, in early recovery. She couldn't tell me not to do it because she'd done the same. Okay. But she said, what I do suggest you do is that you promise your inner child that you will do your damnedest to make sure she is fine, ah. regardless of what happens. Okay. 
And so I've done quite a bit of work with her now, obviously, after the relationship ending and, and, and all of that, going, it's okay, baby girl. So you were introduced to inner child work long before the, the, the trauma weekend? Yes. Through the sponsor. You know, yes. I got to know the inner child thing at the trauma weekend. No, I also so. got to know her through um, my counsellor that I had, okay. um, who was very really wanted me to go and work at our child. Okay. Oh, concept of your higher power. You said it's a oh, yes. glowing little... So it's, it's something I like to do is, is tune in and I feel it in my gut. So your higher power, you believe, is inside you? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I do as well. I also believe it's outside yeah. me. Love songs I dedicate to my higher power. Okay. What other weird things do I do? <laughs> Except being you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what was really weird was when I started praying again now, I started like all these things started happening that weren't coincidences. They were definitely a result of praying. Do you meditate? Oh, that's what I wanted to talk about. I I don't sit on the floor going, um. Okay. No. I walk the beach. Oh, cool. I do color and mandalas. Okay. I do bath, cooking, you know, that was something my first counsellor taught me was that, you know, this guy came into the room and he was bragging, oh, I meditate 20 hours a day. And the meditation guru said, well, what about the other four hours? <laughs> and, you know, that, that that's the whole principle of, of being present, you know, yeah. the mindfulness, being aware of what's going on, taking that walk on the beach and feeling the sand, smelling mm-hmm. the salty air, hearing the waves, seeing your dogs run, you know, yeah. all, all of that. Um, so even driving with great music... Mm. Oh, driving with great music is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's end the session with my favorite and normally last question, which is normally not because while you answer a question, I think of something else. Maybe maybe you're the exception. Are you happy? Today, yes. Fantastic. Right this minute, yes. Awesome. And And do you experience that often, that... For gen- things might not be ideal outside, but mm. right here, right now, I'm happy. Yeah, I think there are two points I want to pick up on. The one is the, I mentioned this at a meeting recently, is the inner peace being in the eye of the storm. So my whole life is in chaos, but I'm, I'm eye of the storm and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm good. And the other thing is, it was a conversation I was having with my sponsor, and I said, I'm having a bad couple of hours. Oh, oh cool. Whereas previously it was, I'm having a bad couple of years. Yeah. Now it was just, I'm having a bad couple of hours. Mine was, my life is shit. Nicole, thank you so, so, so much. Awesome. I really thank appreciate you. this. You're so welcome. I appreciate for coming through and for a lovely chat. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. <laughs> <laughs> now time for the off-air stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, everything on air or nothing. <laughs> I decide what I edit in and out. <laughs> So have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Phew. I love the fact that we can discuss serious topics like spiritual journeys and spirituality and have such fun while doing it. The thing is, and I hope it comes out in these podcasts, that although all of us take our spirituality seriously and have invariably gone through hell to get there, We all lived to tell the tale and have come out the other side lighter and more rounded beings. It is due to our spirituality that we can live joyous lives today. And I hope you can hear that gratitude in these stories. If you have any feedback or remarks, please feel free to pop me an email or connect on social media. It will be great to hear from you. 
If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za or on Twitter at at Rensburg Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Be safe. Bye.